us settling into another full day of silence, of practice. Each day, just settling ever more deeply into the quietude, the inner listening. As Narayan mentioned yesterday, as we talk and expand our contemplation of the foundations of mindfulness, it's not a big shift in radical shift in the actual practice. We continue to emphasize being embodied, being present in the body, present in the breathing, present in listening. But we become increasingly mindful of how our moment-to-moment experience is actually being shaped and informed. The third foundation of mindfulness begins to contemplate what in Pali is called citta. Now, again, there's not just one English word that appropriately translates this. But it's beginning to contemplate the mind um, quite specifically, or more specifically, what is referred to as states of mind, which includes the moment-to-moment mental states we experience during the day. It includes the whole world of our emotions as they appear in so many different ways in the day. And again, in, in the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta, of course, they really begin with exactly the same attitudinal approach as is brought to the body, the one of non-identification. Not so much my mind, but to see the mind as the mind, to see the mind in the mind. Life is made much easier, actually, when we take the my out. Have you noticed that? And it's not necessarily an accident. This is actually something within our intentionality to see the mind as the mind. The moment we put the my mind in there, we enter into the whole world of good mind, bad mind, mind that should be happening, mind that shouldn't be happening. Instead, just the mind, the life of the mental states and emotions that move through our day. There are so many of them. Right now, there's one. What is the state of my mind right now? Is it contracted, heavy, alive, interested, curious, apprehensive, weary, sad? Within the various mind states and emotions we see passing through the day, Of course, there are so many that are truly lovely. The taste of calmness, of spaciousness, of quietude, of brightness, of care, of generosity. There are so many that are lovely. And of course, there are also those that are quite difficult. Sadness, anxiety, irritation, impatience, frustration... It is not about good and bad. And this practice is not about having a particular state of mind. 
Nor is it about having a particular state of experience. It's about understanding experience. And the practice is very much about changing the lens through which we see the moment, not so concerned with rearranging our world moment to moment, the world that we cannot often control. What we do begin to get a sense of is that we see the world through our mental states, our moods, our emotions. They are the lens through which we see the world, through which we see ourselves. They're part of how we perceive the moment, how we experience each moment, how we interpret it, and then, of course, how we react to it. A simple example, you know, if you're feeling, if your mood, your mental state is feeling a little irritated or aversive, you know, and you walk through the dining room and you see someone you know and, or someone you don't know and you maybe offer a smile that isn't returned, You know, through the lens of that mental state, this is perceived as being, you know, well, this person's very unfriendly, you know, this is very hurtful, you know, I feel rejected. It's saying something about them, you know, they're obviously a very cold person. (laughs) Or they're saying, it's saying something about me, you know, nobody's ever smiled at me in my entire life. I'm unworthy. And then you see that interpretation move into, re- into reaction and action, don't you? Well, next time I see that person, they've got the last smile they're ever going to get from me. And, uh, and I'm going to avoid them, and they're not part of my world. Can you see the mental state translating into interpretation, translating then into action? Think about how this happens through the day. You might feel very contented inwardly, very at ease inwardly, in exactly the same situation. You go into the dining room, you offer a smile, it's not returned. Oh, well, I'm so happy they're content in themselves, you know, and isn't it lovely to have that generosity? And there's no then conditioning of reactivity and avoidance patterns set up. Same situation different mind state, different mood, different emotional state. Think about, you know, you're out at breakfast time, you hear the bell. Again, if the mood is one that's quite contracted, then that very sound is filtered through that mental state, isn't it? You hear the bell, and it's, oh, not again. And that bell ringer just sleep in, you know. And, and, you know, I'm going into, oh, that hall again is going to be another difficult sitting, you know. And, and the whole kind of moment is shaped by that mind state. You know, if you're feeling quite happy, quite at ease, exactly the same sound. And, ah, perhaps even just hearing, hearing, or, oh, perhaps a happiness, oh, Another moment to be present. You see, it's going through our lives constantly, this filtering, this... And our mind states are shaping, actually, how we perceive, how we perceive the moment. You know, William Blake once said that if the doors of perception were cleansed, the world would appear as it is, infinite. 
But of course, our perceptions that are shaped by mood, shaped by mind states, are always drawing upon the past, isn't it? And our mind states are setting us, our moods are setting us into drawing upon certain fields of information to shape that perception of the moment in a particular way. It's very, very helpful to be aware of our moods, to be aware of our mind states, to be aware of the emotions that are present. And again, as I mentioned, it's it's helpful to develop a, a vocabulary for this. You know, it, it is part of mindfulness practice is actually to develop that kind of emotional intelligence or that emotional vocabulary that we actually know the state of our mind moment to moment. What is it right now? It's not, you know, and sometimes we struggle to find uh, the kind of knowing, in which case just let it go. But it's helpful at the beginning of a sitting, at the beginning of a walking. What is the state of my mind? What is the mood? What is the emotion that is present? Just simply to have that knowing. Because what unfolds is actually not disconnected from that mood. It's not disconnected from that mind state. It will shape the moment, shape how we see the moment. Now, this discernment, this emotional literacy, is actually really a big part of this practice. It's not about trying to pin things down, but language helps us to know something. You know? It helps us to come closer to what is. And part of developing that sort of emotional literacy is developing a quality of discernment. Again, not about good moods, bad moods, right moods, wrong moods, good emotions, bad emotions. Something different comes into play here of knowing the moods, the emotions, the mind states that are helpful and skillful in terms of bringing about the end of struggle and sorrow and confusion. And to know the moods and the mind states and the emotions that are unhelpful, that actually not wrong, but unhelpful, in that they lead to more struggle, more confusion. Because that discernment that is very much emphasized in, in mindfulness practice and in insight practice, in many ways then evokes a response if we see that the mind is very contracted, very heavy, or very irritated. Perhaps then we're able to ask, what does this need? We know where it goes. We know its outcome. So what does this need? Does it need more metta? Does it need more cultivation of spaciousness? Does it need a more willingness to let go of thought? To discern the mind states that are really conducive to well-being, the emotions, the tones. And actually, this is important. It seems that human beings have almost hardwired into their psyches the bias towards noticing what is wrong. Not so well developed, the capacity to appreciate what is well. What is well? What is lovely? What is delightful? And you see this so often in practice, you know. Oh, is there a moment of calmness today? Quite a few. Oh, no, they didn't really matter because these other ones are much more important. Actually, they do matter. 
because we're developing the skillful, we're developing the husband. I remember even we treat once, you know, teacher, I think I may have said this before, you know, that, uh, you know, a woman, you know, experiencing very, very deep states of, of quietude and energy and coming and saying, I think it's menopause. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not menopause. These are deep states of quietude and energy, you know. <laughs> It's that the capacity to appreciate the lovely, to taste the lovely, you know, to know the lovely, because this is very often the inspiration for our practice, to know that potentiality within ourselves. So the discernment, to know what is helpful, what is skillful, what is not, this actually gives us some sort of guidance, some sort of path of responsiveness, you know, and mindfulness is a very engaged practice. It's not just seeing what is, it's a big part of it. But remembering that the whole word for, for meditative practice, certainly in Pali is bhavna, which is to cultivate. It's also to cultivate, to bring into being. So knowing mind states brings about another question of something that we have talked about a lot, is what am I cultivating, what am I feeding in this moment? Now, mind states are sometimes, there's a lot of clues to what mind states or emotions or moods are present. Sometimes you, you feel it in the body very much. You know, you, you feel the registering of agitation or aversion or dullness. You feel it registering in the body. And this is a place to go. This is where the body is such an ally in beginning to be able to be skillful with some of these moods and emotions and mind states that can feel so powerful to come to the body. Ah, what does aversion feel like? What does irritation feel like? What does contractedness feel like? What does anxiety feel like? To bring that curiosity of being, again, standing near to, standing close to, it's one of the dimensions of metta. Sometimes the way that we become more aware of what mind states or emotions and moods are present is actually through the thought patterns that we start. You start to notice there may be a thematic tone to the thought patterns. You know, like I've spent the last hour obsessing about this person that I struggle with or worrying or planning, um, rehearsing or... You know, dwelling, you start to notice the thematic tones in the thought patterns. This is helpful to notice. Then that can often be a signal ah, let's actually sit first to develop that kind of literacy. Ah, what is that thematic tone? Oh, gosh, this is irritation. This is despair. This is happiness. You notice that there is much less obsession around that which is well. You know, you notice that the mind states, the moods that are really established in quietude, in mindfulness, tend to be less productive of a lot of proliferation. But the more difficult moods, the more difficult emotions, the more difficult mind states tend to be very, very productive, a lot of proliferation more thinking, more dwelling. If there is a sort of continuity of dwelling or thinking, you prob it's probably a pretty good clue that there's a mind state present. 
what is really helpful to see in this practice is that there is a very closed feedback loop that happens. Sometimes a thought produces a mood, doesn't it? You sometimes have a, th- a memory, you know, of a person or a situation, and you can feel the mood, the emotion immediately being triggered by that. But also, what also we see is that emotions and moods and mental states really also trigger thought patterns. So if I'm feeling irritated, well, there's an awful lot to be irritated about, you know. If I'm feeling anxious, well, I can find one million things to worry about, you know. If I'm feeling aversive, well, (laughs) the world is rife with possibilities. But what you start to see is there's a closed feedback loop, is that the emotion will start producing a certain level of thinking that is aligned in theme with the emotional tone or the mood. Like if you're feeling really, really irritated, you very rarely have a lot of thoughts of generosity or kindness. You, know? you, you, tend to, you tend to have a lot of irritated thoughts. You know, that's what happens. So the mind state, the emotion, is producing a lot of proliferation flavored by the mood, carrying the mood, translating the mood, the mind state or emotion, into thought. Now, the more thoughts they are, those thoughts feed back into the mood, into the mind state, into the emotion to strengthen it. In the strengthening of the mood, even more thoughts are produced. So there's this closed feedback loop that is happening. Now, something else gets added into that closed feedback loop, which increases its toxicity and that is self-view. So, you know, you have, you, you have aversion, you have a lot of aversive thinking, you know, the aversion gets stronger, there's more aversive thinking, and then there starts to come in the self-view. I am so angry, or I am so upset, or I am so anxious. So that very self-view in itself adds a certain solidity, solidifying to the mind state. So what we're concerned with in the practice is seeing that this is not a kind of preordained structure. It's certainly one that we see ourselves in, you know, probably countless times in a day. But it's not a preordained structure. There are so many ways to actually break up that feedback loop. Perhaps we really look at the thoughts. Sometimes, you know, Manjushri's sword is pretty good here. You know, sometimes we just know how to cut thought, come back to the body, come back to the breathing, or use metta practice. Sometimes it might be just enough to really just shine the light of mindfulness upon those thought patterns, and you begin to see them break up. Sometimes it might be coming into the body. What is, what is the body sense of this mood? What is the body sense of this mind state? Sometimes it might be questioning the self-view. Because you notice that when there's a strong mind state, it creates a state of amnesia. Have you noticed that? You have forgotten it was possible to ever feel any other way. And nor is there any thought that you will ever feel any other way. This is it. You know, I'm always angry. And I'm always going to be angry for the rest of my life. You know, it's a kind of amnesia that is created. So it's breaking up this kind of uh, structure that becomes so rigid. And again, this is not busy work. You know, it's not, oh, you can try this, you know, and try that, you know, I've got to go here. Start to just in the day, start to just really sensitize yourself 
to the mind states that are present, the moods that are present. It might be in the beginning of sitting, might be in the end of a sitting, the beginning of a walking, the end of a walking and transition periods. Just to pause for a moment. What is the state of my mind? What is the mood in this moment? Just beginning to sort of familiarize yourself with that territory. Such an important territory because the shape of our mind becomes the shape of our world. The shape of our mind becomes the shape of our world. Beginning to just have a little exploration. As I say, it's not a radical change in the practice. But it's beginning to notice, even when you see like repetitive thought patterns happening, instead of struggling with them, battling with them, fighting them, go underneath them. Look, what is the state of the mind, the mood, that is actually perpetuating and giving birth to these thought patterns that might feel so contracted? So again, just gently settling into your posture, into your body. As much as you can, just finding that body of balance, that body of steadiness. Very felt sense of, of the body sitting upright. And taking a moment just to pause, to ask yourself what the state of mind is in this moment, the mood, the shape of the mind. It's a simple knowing of that. Perhaps sensing the thought patterns, the image patterns that are present in this moment. Just being able to be mindful of those thoughts, mindful of those images. aware of what underlies them, particular emotional tone, particular theme. and just coming into the body to sense if you can feel that mind state, that emotional tone registering anywhere in the body.
establishing a clear foundation for mindfulness within the body, within this moment. But a receptive, a listening mindfulness. To know where your attention goes when not with the body. Very simply, very kindly, very clearly.
So it's the time in a retreat when it can feel like we've been here forever and that we're going to be here forever. It's kind of like we're on this journey, this ship, this voyage, and um, it can feel like decades. Isn't that true? Yeah. And actually, we've just been here for a few days. So <laughs> today is the middle of the retreat, and we want to encourage you to use this day really well. You know, not grasping or trying to get or become or anything like that, because we know that doesn't really work. But to see if there can be presentness in all things, noticing the places where, um, you know, because of the process of settling in and becoming comfortable in this environment and adjusting and this and that, there are these habitual places within the day where there's some kind of avoidance or there's a gap of mindfulness or retreat habits have kicked in. I mean, we're so habitual. We can get so habitual in this environment as well. I have to do this. I always do this. And so to try to loosen that up a little bit today, kind of loosen up and collect in. Both are, are important. The Buddha said, There's this wonderful part in the Satipatthana Sutta that we've been working with, which is really one of the most crucial discourses of the Buddha, where the Buddha suggests doing everything with mindfulness. So it's something like, you know, the yogini goes to and fro with full attention. You know, the yogini goes to the bathroom with full attention. The yogini eats and drinks with full attentiveness. The yogini puts on their coat takes off their socks, probably not socks 2,500 years ago, but along these same lines with full attentiveness. So everything, all activities through the day, this kind of brightness and radiance and um, loving care, loving care throughout the day. It's not just attention, it's loving attention, compassionate attention, that each moment matters past is gone, future hasn't come, is it possible to live our life in the only moment it can be lived, right here and right now? So this is the possibility throughout the day today. In the walking practice, uh, Christina spoke yesterday about how wonderful it is just to feel the foot touching the floor. So great. And if that's all you did today, this would be a great day. And not just in the formal walking sessions, but as you walk around the building. Just the foot touching the floor. And then, of course, the possibility of being aware of the whole body as it moves through space. Quite, Quite a wonderful way to practice as well. And now, another way to practice, talking about mind states, is to, in the walking, kind of the sense of walking through mind states. We have this sense that some mind states are um, impermanent. We know them well, we're intimate and familiar with them, and so there's no doubt that they're temporary. And then there are other mind states that we're afraid of and that we don't know so well, and those we assume to be permanent. Now, we know that's not true because, you know, what the mind state is right now will be utterly different by 3 o'clock this afternoon, probably by you know, 9.05, it'll be different. But still, 
we can have this very clear sense that, yes, in this world of impermanence, this is permanent. I think it's such a good question, you know? I think this is impermanent, I think this is impermanent, but this is obviously clearly permanent. And so to walk through mind states, you know, to, to practice in the walking, allowing a mind state to be there, and then continuing to walk, continuing to walk, and being aware, ah, is it the same, you know, when I start the walking and when I come to the end of the path? Is it the same after two um, kind of lengths of the walking, and to inquire in this way. You know? Because the walking, there can be a kind of inquiry, wisdom emerging in the walking just as much as there can be in the sitting. So we want to encourage you to continue with the walking. If you want to um, slow down just a tinge, if you're feeling, sometimes there's a little bit of extra energy today that's available to us, and that that extra energy that's so positive turns into restlessness and agitation. So um, try to funnel it back into collectedness and steadiness and to perhaps slow down just a tinge, just a tinge, not weird, you know, not odd. (laughs) I have a friend who on a retreat, she walks so slow that she was um, going just the tiny little bit of the of the corridor, not lengthwise, but widthwise, and we know how how short that width is. So another friend went in and took a shower, and she hadn't gotten to the end. (laughs) So, you know, you can get a little carried away with these things. But here, it's okay. You know, here, we can be, we can actually be a little on the weird side. So, um, but just, just just to slow it down a tinge, perhaps, so that you're challenging that sense of being propelled from behind, you know, that sense of being compelled into something instead of, ah, spacious here and now. Okay, so have a, have a really wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.